Amen. Thank you, Miss Dana. What a beautiful song. And that's true, isn't it? God is good. We thank the Lord for that. You know, we should thank the Lord this morning for the privilege of knowing Him and knowing that. There are some around our globe that have still never heard the name Jesus. And uh, this might shock you, but there are some right here in America that have not heard His name. And so we need to be busy. Busy about the Lord's work and telling other people who He is, amen, and what He means to us. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's open the Word of God to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, this of course is in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, and then Isaiah, Jeremiah. Well, there's a little bit in between. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 29. Take a moment, find your place there. Right about the middle, you, you open it up about the middle and you should be in Psalm somewhere and you just go to the right a little bit more. It's page 942 in my Bible. All right, Jeremiah 29, we're going to read uh, a couple of verses, just one verse together and then we'll back up and, and give it a little context. All right, we'll start with a word of prayer. And then we'll read that verse together. If you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And I want to call your attention to verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's pray, and then we'll read that verse together. Father, how we love you today. And Lord, how we love your Word. We thank you so much that we can say God's been good. Lord, it is a privilege to know you. There are many who live their lives without the direction, without the comfort, without the care that you bring. And that your word gives. And Lord, there are people who, if we put the Bible in their hands, they they wouldn't know where to go to find a word of encouragement or word of comfort. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to turn to a passage like this and find that you care for us from your word. We thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and serving you. We thank you for the privilege of being here in fellowship today. And Lord, during our time of worship, We just ask that you take these few moments and give guidance and direction to our lives. Speak to our hearts. We pray you just take the word of God and make it personal for us today. Speak to our hearts and show us what you'd have us do, Lord, as a result of what we learned today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher and guide. And we pray you just uh, highlight the things that are needful in our minds and our lives today. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, the Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I'd like for us to look at that just one more time. If it's not a familiar verse to you, then you may want to mark that verse. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, you can underline that or highlight it. And remember this promise, remember how the Lord speaks here when he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I hope this verse is a word of comfort. And I hope it reveals the heart of God and the the care that he wants to give to you this morning. You know, there's a lot of people who who meander through life 
in a lost sort of a way. And when bad things begin to happen to them, they, they feel as if God is in heaven uh, bearing down on their life for maybe something they did wrong. But you know, that's not who the Bible describes God is at all. Oh, of course, God, God does punish sin and, and, and God does have a way of getting our attention. But God is not always in heaven looking to do you wrong. Don't interpret everything bad that comes your way as being sent from God to torment you because that simply is not the case. I would say people like that are probably more guilty themselves than God is of sending distress their way. You know, it's, it's, it's when we act like, well, when we act like Jonah, for example. You know, Jonah brought himself into the storm. Jonah brought himself, uh, you know, to the, to the whale hotel. Uh, Jonah brought some of those bad experiences. I mean, he had to walk the plank, you know, the, the men threw him overboard. Well, what was all that about? Well, the Bible says all of that was a storm of Jonah's making. Jonah ran from God. Jonah disobeyed God. And the Bible says when the mariners, when the shipmen, when they heard that, they asked him, why did you do that? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that even a lost person knows it's, it's, it's just not good sense to run from God like that? But Jonah did, didn't he? And you know, the same thing can happen to us if we run from God, if we live contrary to his word, if we violate some of God's principles, then sure, God's able to get our attention. He's able to catch up with us about that. But most of the time, when we experience bad things, it may just be a result of decisions we've made, choices we've made. Does that make sense? Notice what God is telling Israel. And by the way, Israel was not a perfect nation. They were not a perfect people. Uh, they were not somebody, uh, you know, that's the image of perfection, even though they were God's chosen people. And in the Bible, God described them as the apple of his eye. They weren't people that had it all together. They, they weren't people that had it all figured out. Actually, quite the opposite is true. They were just very much like us, just trying to find their way, just trying to, to make it one day at a time. It just so happens that this verse comes from the heart of God during a time when God had punished Israel and allowed them to be overtaken and carried away into captivity. Now they're in Babylon. And they're in captivity. And during this time of captivity, God comes to them with these words. And he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think the expected end would be for a people in captivity? Absolutely. They want to go home. They want to be free. So notice what God says to them during this time of captivity. Look at verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Oh, isn't that good? 
So God is speaking to them in their captivity. Even though God allowed them to have a time of punishment for their waywardness, God is saying, look, I'm marking the time and I'm going to bring you back. It's not over. I'm going to restore you. So what is God doing here? God is giving them some good news. He's reminding them of a promise. And God is speaking during some hard times in their life. And so I want to bring a message this morning entitled Bible Promises for Tough Times. Bible Promises for Tough Times. You know, God never said we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't go through tough times. The Bible doesn't say that Christianity is some kind of bed of roses. Just because you walk with God doesn't mean you're going to be carried on flowery beds of ease, as the songwriter put it. No, 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 quite the opposite is true. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, hey, if the world hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you too. He said, guess what? You're going to go through some tribulation. But he said, don't fear. He said, I've overcome all that. That's powerful, isn't it? Hey, guess what? We serve the one who is all powerful. And we need to remember that during our tough days, God gave us some promises to carry us through our tough times. So what is God doing here? He's coming to the people of Israel and he's saying, hey, look, I've marked the days. And he said, don't worry, we're coming to an end and I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to I'm going to restore you. He said, I have thoughts toward you that are thoughts of peace, not of evil. And he said, I'm going to bring you to that expected end. That's the end that they hoped for based on the good word of God in years gone by. You know, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his word. So, you know, we need to know what that word is so that we'll know when he keeps it with us. So let me show you some of those words, some of those good promises that God has for us that are, that are in his word. They're written, they're preserved through time for you and for me. Notice, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 13, God gives us a promise that is an encouragement to us in tough times. Hebrews chapter 13. You know, there is a, a lot that goes into tough times. We all experience tough times. And we need to know that our God is able to deliver us in tough times. The songwriter wrote these words, Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. He said, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. He said, through days of toil when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fears your path assail, God will take care of you. He said, all you may need, he will provide. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, lean weary one upon his breast. God will take care of you. Oh, you know, we need to trust his word and know that he loves us enough to take care of us in tough times. P.P. Bliss, another great songwriter, said, I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book that he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. He said, though I forget him and wander away, still he doth love me wherever I stray. 
Back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. He said, oh, if there's only one song I can sing, when in his beauty I see the great king, this shall my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. Isn't that good? You know what? Jesus does love you. And if you're saved and you, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if he, lived, he loves you, and these are promises for you. Look at Hebrews 13 and notice what the Bible says in verse 5 and 6. He said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, watch this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Why do we need to remember that promise? Because, you know, when we go through hard times, it just feels, doesn't it? It feels like we're all alone. Sometimes when we're going through tough times, it feels like no one's ever gone through what I'm going through. But they have. Generations past and generations to come will experience the same kind of turmoil. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. And the trials that you and I experience are not new either. Somebody, somewhere, sometime has gone through what you're going through or will go through what you're going through. And through it all, no matter how alone you feel, God said, I will never leave you. You know what? God's promised to be with you in the tough time. Promise number one is he said, I'm there. I'm with you. You remember the famous uh, poem, we call it Footprints. And it's about the man who went through tough times. And toward the end of his life, he looked back over the, over the sands of his life. And he saw two sets of prints where he walked with God. And then he noticed he said, Lord, during the toughest times of my life, when I look back, he said, I only see one set of prints. How could you leave me during the hardest times of my life? And the Lord said, oh, no, that's not the place where I left you. He said, those are the places where I carried you. Oh, isn't that good? You know, it's only because of God we make it through some of the stuff we go through. Notice the Bible says in verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You can only have that kind of courage when you know that God is with you. Whatever comes. Isn't that good? It's good to know that, isn't it? And God in his faithfulness, God captured that promise. So that down through the corridors of time, all of his children would know that when we go through tough times, he said, I am with you. That's one of God's promises, to be with you. But notice in Matthew chapter 6, we have another promise of God for tough times. In Matthew chapter 6, well, you could, you could almost make this two promises, but they're, they're so close to each other, we put them together. Notice what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, the first book of the New Testament, in verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So here are the two things God is telling us in this passage. He promised, number one, to take care of you and to provide for you. Isn't that good? So Jesus gives the examples to his disciples. He's teaching them about following the Lord and what it is to have a relationship with him. And he, and he compares his care uh, like, like the, the lilies of the field. And, and then, by the way, and he compares them to Solomon. And he says, look, look at the beautiful fields and the flowers. And, and when they're in full bloom, see how awesome and amazing this is. He said, God takes care of them. They're going to be gone tomorrow, but he takes care of them anyway. That's how much, that's how willing God is to take care. And if God can take care of flowers, can he take care of you? And then he said to his disciples, look, even Solomon. Solomon didn't look this good in all of his glory. Isn't that something? So he said, why do you take thought for that? What he was saying is, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? He wasn't saying, don't work for your material needs. He wasn't saying, don't work for tomorrow. He was saying, don't worry for tomorrow. Why? Because God's going to take care of you. I remember that old-fashioned preacher, Brother Roloff, used to say, God takes care of the birds. He said, but they do still have to get out and scratch for it. (laughs) Amen? So, this doesn't mean that we don't need to put forth effort. But it does mean that we can be assured that while we're putting forth the effort, God will be sure to meet the needs. He'll take care of us. God promised to take care of you, to provide for you in this passage. We put him first. We honor him. And the Bible says then he would honor us. He would care for us. What a great promise. If you haven't marked those verses, you may want to do that. Because God said, all these things shall be added unto you. That's his words, not mine. God made the promise to take care of his children. But you know, that's not the only promise he made. Look in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 7. And look at verse 7. You know, God promised to be with you in Hebrews 13. God promised to care for you and provide for you in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 7, God makes another promise. And this is something that's unique to the children of God. Notice what he said in verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8 goes with it. If you notice, there's not a period there. He says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now you notice the TH on the end of those words. That's not just Old English. There's a reason for that. Verse 8 clarifies verse 7. Verse 7 says we should ask, seek, and knock, and and God would provide. But verse 8 is is giving intentional clarity to verse 7. He that asketh, it's the continual progressive sense. It means that you ask and keep on asking. It means that you seek and keep on seeking. It means that you, that you knock and keep on knocking. Right? There's something to be said about perseverance in prayer. In this passage, God is promising to answer your prayers. Don't think for a moment ever that you pray and God doesn't see and hear you. Oh, he hears you. Now, sometimes because we are carnal creatures, sometimes, even as Christians, we can lean to our carnal nature and we can ask for things 
that God knows is not in our best interest to have. Or maybe we're just asking it out of selfishness. And then God deals with us like any good parent would deal with their children. He says, no, you don't, you don't quite need that. Or maybe you don't need that right now. Right now, that's not what you need. You know, Father knows best. Isn't that right? Well, our Father knows best. And if you look at this whole passage of Scripture, verse 9, 10, uh, and 11, he, he talks about uh, a father giving gifts to his son. You know, it, 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 notice what he said in verse, I think it's verse 9. If, he said, if, there, if there's a man among you, if his son asks bread, will you give him a stone? Well, the obvious answer is no. Every father wants his children to have food. And, and he's going to try to provide that before they even ask. But you're going to learn that, especially, you know, when they hit the teenage years, they're going to be asking before you're ready. <laughs> right? They eat every two hours instead of four. And so they may beat you to the, to the question, but they haven't beat you to the intention. The father always wants to provide for his children. And he, and he gives that as common sense in the next few verses. God wants to take care of us. God sees you praying, and he always hears. Now, when we talk about God hearing our prayers, there's an interesting interpretation of terms that we have to also understand. You know, in our court system, when a case is presented, there's a hearing, and the hearing is is to decide if the case is going to be heard or not. Right? It's not to hear the case. It's to decide if the case is going to be heard. The Supreme Court uses that a lot. And they'll decide, yes, we'll hear this one. No, we won't hear that one. You know, God can, can hear about our case, but not give our case a hearing, if that makes sense. Or, or we would just say it in everyday terms. We would just say, God didn't say yes to that request. He denied that one. To us, when God doesn't say yes to a request, when he doesn't grant something we're asking for, we consider that a denial. God must have said no. Maybe it was that God said, I'm not ready to hear that. It's for another time, perhaps. God promised to be with you. God promised to care for you and provide for you. God promised to answer your prayer. Isn't that awesome? I'm on a roll. That's three points already. Look at this. Number four. Romans chapter 8. Would you turn there and look at another one of God's promises? Romans chapter 8. There are many promises in the Bible, and these are just the highlights. But they're so good. Notice what he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, who wrote this? The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was not a person that only experienced good things in his life. Notice he didn't say that. He didn't say, and all things are good. If anybody knows that all things are not good, it was Paul. Paul suffered hardship, persecution, shipwreck, right? Many hardships. He was beaten, he was stoned, left for dead, all of those kind of things. 
As a matter of fact, when you go back to the book of Acts and you see where Paul was converted on the Damascus Road, Jesus appeared. Paul responded by accepting the person of Jesus Christ. We call that his salvation experience. That's where he came to know the Lord, who he really is, not who he thought he was. And so so he was... He was saved on the Damascus Road and he began to serve the Lord. And, and God told him, go to the house of Ananias. And, and so he, he went. And you remember uh, when, when, when God was speaking to the prophet there, he said, he said I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. So it's almost like Paul was called to a life of suffering. Why would I, why would I point this out? I'm not saying that you and I necessarily are called to that same level of suffering that Paul went through, but I'm trying to show you who it was that wrote these words. The guy that went through more hardship than you and I may ever see. Look what he said in verse 28. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Oh, listen, dear child of God, know that God has promised to work everything out in your life for the good. God didn't say it would all be good, but he said it's going to work to bring together to accomplish good in your life. You know, when we think about things that we go through and some very negative things, we need to see them as ingredients. Those experiences that we have are the ingredients of our life and they are what God is using to give our own unique flavor. Now, when I say it like that, it should immediately start ringing some bells because we all understand the cooking process that behind every good meal is a recipe. And the recipe for that meal not only reveals the ingredient, but also the process. And they both work together. You have to have the ingredients and you have to have the process. And how many of you know that you have to have the ingredients cooperate with the process? It's got to be done not only the same things, but also in the same order. Right? Amen? You ever made somebody else's recipe and it just doesn't turn out right? What did they do? They stirred it with their finger, right? No, 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 no. There's a process. There's probably something that they didn't tell you. You have to cook this before that or mingle this with that or stir it for this long or something that you missed. And sometimes people just don't realize they're skipping a step. And the best thing in that case, the best thing to do is say, you make it, let me watch. Oh, oh, that right there. Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, wait. You didn't tell me about that. Whatever that step is, you get that right, and then guess what? Boom, the flavor's there. Do you know God has a recipe in your life? God is always at work. Hudson Taylor said, God is always advancing. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? You know what that means? That means God is always working in your life. Always. Even if you don't understand what he's doing, God is always at work. He's not like us. He doesn't have to take a breather. He doesn't have to rest. He doesn't need to take a nap. He's always working. And this verse says that whatever you experience, whatever you have experienced, 
whatever you are experiencing, God promised to use it to bring about good in your life. So no matter how this ingredient might taste, and by the way, some of the ingredients we put in our food, they don't taste real good by themselves. Right? If you ate that one thing, you would, ugh, you would spit it out. You would say, I'm not eating that. But when we mix it all together and cook it just right, you say, mm, boy, that's good. I want some more of that. Right? God is, is working in our lives so that when we come away from what he does, we say, boy, I want some more of that. Man, God's good. Like that song said. I wouldn't change those things if I could. Why? Because God made it good. Isn't that good to know? And we know that all things work together for good. Remember that when you're in tough times, God is working for your good. He is always at work, even if you don't understand what he's doing. Just sit back and trust him through it. And just know that God has your best interest at heart and God is at work. He will do it. The next promise is found in Isaiah 40. And we're almost done. Isaiah 40. Remember back to the book of Jeremiah where we started. If you go to the left from there, you'll be in the book of Isaiah. And we'll back up to chapter 40. And two verses there. Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. You know what God is able to do? As impossible as it may seem, God is able to strengthen you, to renew you, to refresh you. The Bible says in verse 30, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't that good? What a promise. By the way, you know verse 40 or 31 chapter 40 verse 31 did you know it says they that wait upon the lord shall what renew their strength hey did you realize when he's talking about when he's talking about mounting up with wings as eagles flying high soaring do you realize that comes after you fall on your face and you got nothing left not before. Oh yeah, we're all going to be we're all going to hit the peak somewhere. This is after that. So he's telling us here that when you've run out of everything, God is able to restore you. God is able to refresh you. God is able to strengthen you. God is able to sustain you when you don't have nothing left. And how do we get that strength? He said in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord now here, the word wait, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that we sit down and patiently just wait for God to show up. All right, Lord, I'm waiting. Come quickly. Not that kind of wait. This word wait is the kind of wait that you get at the restaurant. Your, your waiter, wait, wait on the Lord. It means to serve him. You know what? When you keep on keeping on for Jesus through thick and thin, through tough times, through good and bad, when you do that, 
as you do that, God restores your strength. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you what will happen if you take the easy chair and you stop everything, you're probably going to collapse. Now, God can still restore you, but God can keep you going if you wait on him. If you're in the waiting chair today, I want to encourage you to get out of that chair. It's hard to get motivated when you're in that chair. Get out of that chair and start serving the Lord again. And then your renewal will come. God renews us as we wait on him. What a precious and powerful truth that is. You know, it almost goes against our human understanding. How can we, how can we receive strength when we're giving strength? How can we be renewed and refreshed when we're doing something that makes us weary? I don't know. That's like the Bible saying, give and you'll get How are you going to get if you're giving? Because God said, given it shall be given to you, good measure, shaken down, pressed together, running over. He said, shall men give into your bosom? Because God said, if it goes around, it's going to come around. Like Ecclesiastes says, cast thy bread upon the waters and you shall find it after many days. Isn't that right? God has some interesting principles that don't always fit our human reasoning. That's why we don't worship our intellect. We worship our God and we subject our intellect to our faith. We trust God beyond what we're able to see and believe and understand because we know he is all powerful. He is all wise. And he's able to do what he says he will do. So today, if you're weary in your toil and if you're weary in your struggle, if you're experiencing tough times and you feel like you're going to faint, take heart. God is able to restore and renew you as you serve him. Don't let go. I want to show you our last promise for this morning. Turn with me again to Romans, if you would, this time to chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You know, these are some Bible promises for tough times God promised to be with you. He promised to care for you and provide for you. He promised to answer prayer. He promised to work out all things for your good. He promised to renew your strength. I want to show you this last one. God promised to save you if you ask him to. Notice the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou, what's that next word? Shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Here it is. Here's the promise. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. What's that next word? Shall be saved. Shall be saved. Man, I like that, don't you? It didn't say you might be saved. You may be saved. God didn't say, well, you know, if you're good enough. Well, you know, if, if I feel like it. Well, if you hang in there tight. No, 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 he didn't say any of that. 
He said, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Why can God make a promise like that? I'm going to tell you why. Because salvation was never based on human merit. Never. All through the Old Testament times, all through the New Testament times, in the present and even in the future, everyone in every time period was always saved in the same way. They had to come to God by faith and trust what he did or what he said to save them. In the Old Testament days, they were looking forward to the cross. They were understanding that one day a lamb would be sacrificed. One day the Savior would come and his offering, his life, the shedding of his blood would take away our sins. And as a demonstration that they truly believed that, they would bring a little lamb into the temple and they would act out this little play where the lamb was slain and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. That's what happened in heaven when Jesus died on the cross and took his blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And before the mercy seat in front of God the Father, Jesus sprinkled his own blood there as a payment for the sins of the world. And on that basis, because sin was actually paid for by Jesus Christ with his own blood, on that basis, God is willing to forgive those who come to Christ by faith. So those in the Old Testament were looking forward that one day this would happen. We who are in the New Testament, we look back on the fact that Jesus did come and he was our sacrifice and he shed his blood and he made the offering for sin. He paid the debt in full. So what do we have to do to be saved? Nothing. We have to call on the name of the Lord. That's it. We have to do what that man did in the temple that Jesus told about. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He humbled himself. He knew he wasn't worthy. Remember the religious Pharisee came down front, said, God, I thank you that I'm not as other people are. I'm not even as this publican. Thought he was better than everybody because he, you know, was churched and all of this stuff. Because he knew the Bible and because he said, I fast twice a week. I do good deeds. Look, doing good things might, might make you a little better off. But it doesn't make you better than anybody. That's why we say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus on the same terms. And you know, there was a day in my life when I had to understand, without what Jesus did on the cross, there would be no hope for my salvation. Because when I look in the mirror, I know there's nothing that I can do that would be good enough to get me to heaven. And everybody that I've talked to that's trying to be good enough feels the same way. And I've asked them, hey, look, man, if I wanted to be absolutely certain about going to heaven, what would you tell me to do? And they had named four or five things. And then I repeat them back. Okay, if I do this, 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 and this. Okay, if I do all of that now, I'm sure, I'm, I'm for sure I'm going. Well, you know, you got to do this and you got to do... And they always add three or four more things. You know why? Because when you're trying to work your way to heaven, it's never enough. Let me tell you why. Because good works don't erase bad ones. I can't erase my sin by doing something good. If that were possible, I could do enough good to erase the bad I've done. 
And then when I stand before God one day, I might have some hope. But because good works can't erase the bad ones, God's going to see it all. And the Bible says, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. So if I show up with any kind of sin when I stand before God, there's going to be no hope. The, the decision's already made. You can't take sin into heaven. It doesn't work like that. I don't know where you grew up, but when I was a little kid, mom would tell us, go outside and play. Go play. Go outside. And we knew what that meant. That meant don't come back inside. You know, as little kids, we would test that sometimes, Brother Junior. We'd come in. You know, we'd want a cold drink of water or something like that. Guess what she told us? Go out to the water hose. Right? Why? She was busy inside. She was cleaning. And the last thing you ever want to do is come through that kitchen after she mopped the floor and track in a bunch of dirt tracks through there. Oh, man. You know what, brother? I did that one time. Yes, only one time. <laughs> you know what my mom taught me early? You don't track dirt into the, clean, into the house when she's cleaning. And, you know, it's kind of that same idea. You know, God's telling us you can't track sin into heaven. And if you try to get to heaven based on your goodness, that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to leave a sin trail all down the golden street. God's saying, uh-uh, we're not having that. God's saying, if you want to get to heaven, you have to be clean. Cleaner than you could ever be. You say, is that in the Bible? Yeah. Did you know Jesus told his disciples? He said, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Man, do you know who the Pharisees were? They were the ones that memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were the ones that had little, little Bible scriptures rolled up and stuck in little pouches all over their outfit. They were the ones that spent long hours every day in prayer. They were the ones that fasted several meals throughout the week. They were the ones that were in church every time the doors were open. I mean, if you ever bragged about how good anybody was, it was them. You know what Jesus said? You want to get to heaven? You've got to be better than they are. How do you be better than perfect? They were as close as, humanly speaking, you could get to perfect. How do you beat that? You know, the answer is, you don't. Because, you know, you and I, we can't be better than that. That was the human best. And Jesus said, that's not good enough. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to be better than that. The only way to be better than that is to do what he's saying right here. Confess and call on the Lord and let him cleanse you from your sin. You see, because when you call on Jesus and ask him to save you and you quit trying to save yourself, you know what happens? That payment that Jesus made for sin in heaven, that gets applied to your life. And then your sin is gone. And so that way when you stand before the Father one day, it appears that you've never sinned. Why? Because Jesus took it all away. He paid for that. He cleansed that. And you get to appear before God in a perfect state. That's what Jesus does for you. That's why he died on the cross. You know why he died on the cross? Because there was no other way to deal with your sin and get you into heaven. You see, God is a holy being, so he can't just blink and act like you didn't do it. Your sin had to be paid for. My sin had to be paid for. 
and I couldn't make the payment. Neither can you. But when you call upon Jesus and you ask Him to save you, the Bible says He will. Look at the verse again, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Now earlier he said, Jews and Greeks and all that, there's no difference. The same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him, right? So it doesn't matter what nationality you're from or whether you've previously uh, understood the faith. None of that matters. If you come to Jesus, you understand what he did for you, and you ask him to save you, the Bible says you shall be saved. He said, I will do it. In another place, Jesus told his disciples, he said, he that cometh to me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus doesn't turn anyone away who asked to be saved. Now, there were people who asked how to be saved. There were people who asked about salvation. He didn't turn them away. They ended up walking away. But anyone that ever came to Jesus and said, will you save me? He's never said no. And he's not going to start now. Verse 13 means if you call on the Lord, he will save you today. If you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, you've already done that. There was a day you realized, I'll never make it without help. And you called on Jesus and you asked him to save you. That's great. You were born in the family of God. And we call that your spiritual birthday. If you got that taken care of, then you're on good ground today. You can sigh relief on that one. But if you've never done that, today could be the day for you. Verse 13 then is an invitation for you to come to Christ and receive him and call on him and be saved today. He said they shall be saved. He didn't say they might be or I'll think about it, take a number. No. This is a definite promise. So how about it? If you've never accepted Christ, in just a moment we're going to bow our heads and we're going to, folks are going to have a time of prayer. People are going to be praying about some of their problems and giving them to God. They're going to be asking Him for strength and renewing, all that kind of stuff. While they're doing that, you come and say, Pastor, I want to call on Jesus. I want to be saved today. We'll take the Bible and show you how. And then you can call on Him and you can receive His promise that you shall be saved. It can happen right here today. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for these Bible promises for tough times. And we do ask, Lord, that you'd help us and encourage us. May we remember these always. Because if we have been through tough times, Lord, then we certainly understand. But if we haven't, then they may be just around the corner. So help us to take them with us today. And I pray you do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask.